You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So we are celebrating the resurrection. Jesus is alive. Listen to me, okay? When life is going really, really, really good, and it just seems like you're on top of the world, and it seems like things could not get any better, and life seems easy and free and fun and full of energy, Jesus walks with us. And when life is really hard, and you're facing a lot of disappointment, and you're feeling a lot of tension inside of you, and there is struggle in life, and there is nothing about life that is easy. In fact, life is difficult. Jesus is alive, and He walks with you. And so we're in this series called uh, Failure doubt and disappointment, why the resurrection changes everything. And so I wondered this week if I stood up here and I begin the sermon by asking you, as we focus on disappointment today, what is the greatest disappointment that you have ever had to face in your life? I wondered how you would respond to that. So if you say, if you want to talk to me about the greatest struggle I've ever had, the darkest hour that I've ever gone through, The season of my life where I felt the most hopeless. How would you respond? And so for some of you, you would point back and you would say, you know, Rick, it was back there. That was a season of my life, season of my life that was just really tough. And some of you might say, right now, I think I'm going through the darkest time. And for some of you, the disappointment is ahead of you. But at some point in our lives, we will all go through seasons of disappointment. And so I remember two years ago, um, we were on our way to become your pastor. And, and we decided that we were going to come and be with you on Easter Sunday morning. And I was going to preach for the very first time in 2012. And we flew in on Saturday afternoon and Tim and Darlene Brown picked us up at the airport and we went out to eat dinner with them. And then they said, you want to go by the church? Because we thought you might like to go by. You haven't really seen it, but maybe once. And would you like to kind of go by the church? And so we did. And I remember we drove down the east side. And it seemed like it took a long time to get to the end of the building. And I felt this real sinking in my stomach, thinking to myself, these people have no idea who they have called to be their pastor, you know. And I got up the next morning and we got ready to walk out the door of the hotel. And I said to Annette, are you okay? She goes, no, I'm a mess. Are you okay? And I said, I'm just hoping I can form a sentence. That's what my prayer has been reduced to. God, just help me, you know, to communicate. And I remember coming in the West parking lot and people greeting me and all of that kind of just going away. And I remember standing here for the very first time and I went back and I looked closely because I wanted to say the words correctly. And here's what I said to you, the very first Sunday that I came and I stood and I preached to you, the very first thing I said was this, that God comes to us, Jesus comes to us rather in the midst of our disappointments and he walks with us and he opens the word and he reveals truth to us and he restores hope in our lives. I believe that with everything in me. That even in the midst of my disappointments, Jesus comes to me and he walks with me and he opens the word of life to me and he reveals truth to me and he restores hope in my life. 
And so I have been praying as I have been building toward today and saying, Jesus, just as you did it in the scripture, I want you to do it for somebody at Bethany First Church on Sunday morning. I want you to restore hope in somebody's life. And so let me take you to another resurrection story, okay? You want to grab your Bible? Another post-resurrection story to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. I'm going to start reading with verse 13, Luke 24, beginning with verse 13. Now, Luke says in the earliest verses of his gospel, many people took it upon themselves to write an account of what we have witnessed in these last days. From eyewitnesses. And so I, too, have performed this careful investigation And I've written an orderly account of all that Jesus did and said because I wanted you to know with certainty the things that you have heard. And so he tells this great gospel, this great story of Jesus. And when you get to Luke 24, here's what has happened. For three years, Jesus has preached and he has taught and he has healed. He is falsely accused, he is arrested, and he is crucified on a cross. He dies on the cross, they take his body down and they bury his body in a tomb. On the third day, just as he said, he was raised from the dead. His disciples are mostly confused. So let me tell you their story, okay? Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Uh, Now that same day, two of them, meaning followers of Jesus, they were going to a village called Emmaus. It was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were walking and talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other... Jesus himself came and stood up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And so he asked them, so what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, meaning they stopped walking. Their faces were downcast. There's a lot of that kind of language in this story that I'm reading to you this morning. A lot of downcast kind of language. A lot of language about disappointment. A lot of language about the darkest hour of somebody's life. And so one of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these last days? Well, what things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. He was powerful in word and deed before God and all of the people. The chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped, there's some more of that language. We had hoped implies that we're not hoping any longer. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but did not find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. And so he says to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And so beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. 
But they urged him strongly, no, stay with us. Look, it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he began to give it to them. And then in that moment, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he, when he talked with us rather on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And then they got up. They've just walked seven miles and they returned to Jerusalem another seven miles. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So I pray for God's blessing on the reading of his word to us today. Amen? Amen. So where is Ashley? I met a little girl named Ashley. Can you come and help me, honey? Okay. This is Family Worship Sunday, and I love it that kids were with us, but I always want you to see kids. And so I had something today that I thought I could use some help in. And so this is a precious, sweet little girl whose name is Ashley, and she is going to come and help me. So Ashley, I have in my hand here a bottle of water, okay? And so what I need you to do for me is stand right here beside me. Will you do that? And would you hold this bottle of water for me where everybody can see it really well, okay? So can you just hold it up like that right there? That's very good. Okay, can everybody see the water? Okay, so I don't know how much a bottle of water weighs. Do you, Ashley? Is it heavy? Not yet. Okay. So um, if I ask you to hold the bottle of water for the rest... Okay, there we go. So everybody can see. So if I ask you to hold the bottle of water for another like few seconds, you'd be okay with that, right? Yeah. But you know how preachers sometimes preach really long? So if I ask you to hold the bottle through like the whole sermon, would that like be too long to hold the bottle of water like that? It would be. I understand. What if I said, Ashley, I want you to hold that bottle of water like that all day long. Will you do that for me? And I don't care where you go or what you do, just as long as you got that bottle like that. By the end of the day, would it be really hard to hold that bottle of water? It would feel heavier, right? So why would it feel heavier? Is it because the actual bottle of water is increasing in weight? No. It weighs the same, right? It's just the longer you hold it, the heavier it gets. So I'm going to make a confession. I'm going to make a confession to you, okay? There have been seasons of my life where I have carried disappointments with me everywhere I went. And I don't know why I kept carrying those, because the longer I carried them, the heavier they became. But I would just carry them with me. And I realized that it was not the will of Jesus for me to keep carrying those. Would you like to set that down? Okay, go ahead. Set it down. All right. We were visiting some family a few weeks ago. And when we drove away from our extended family, I drove away and I carried some disappointment with me. Something that somebody I love is going through. And so although we're driving away and I'm sitting in a very comfortable car... 
the weight of that just got heavier and heavier and heavier. And finally, Jesus says to me, hey, Rick, why don't you just put it down? And so by the grace of Jesus, I quit holding it. I just put it down. So, you know, sometimes when I have kids come up and help me, I give them like a gift. Have you ever seen me do that before? Like one day I remember giving a a little guy like $7, and I gave this other little person a gift card. And a couple weeks ago I gave this girl this big jar of M&Ms. So would you like this bottle of water? (laughs) You know what? I thought I should give you something more than that. So I have a gift card for you. Do you like Sonic? It's kind of an Oklahoma thing. So you can go to Sonic on me, okay? All right. Would you give Ashley a hand? (laughs) So you got to listen again because I'm going to say it maybe more than once again. In the midst of our disappointments, Jesus comes to us. And you know what he says to us? He opens the word and he walks with us and he restores hope. And when he opens the word, he says, cast all your cares on me. You don't have to hold them. You can just set them down. I love you. I will carry your disappointments. Cast all your cares on me because I care for you. I I, I remember um, there was a guy who called me. His name is Jack. And he started attending our church much later in life because his wife had passed away. And when she did... He marries another lady and the two of them together find their own church and so they found us. And Jack calls me one day and he says, Pastor Rick, my my brother's grandson died last night. They, They don't go to church. They don't know any pastors. And they need somebody to do the funeral. And and I told them I would give you a call and see if you would do the funeral for them. And so I remember sitting in my office with a legal pad on my lap and a pen and I'm planning the service with this mother and father who has just lost a 17-year-old son. He had been to a concert and he got so drunk and after the concert was over he was with friends and he got so drunk that he died not even knowing he was dying. And, and the details of his death are pretty gruesome, and I think it's just too much to unfold for you on Sunday morning. So I'm not going to give you those details, but here's a 17-year-old boy who was so drunk when he died, he was so passed out that he didn't even know his life was slipping away. And so I'm sitting in my office, and they're not comfortable with the whole idea of planning a funeral for their 17-year-old son. And more than that, they're not comfortable being in the office of a pastor. And so I'm trying to help them plan the service and I'm suggesting things and mostly the wife just looks at the husband and he's staring at the carpet and she's trying to search his face and she's just finally responding saying that would be okay. Okay, that would be okay. And finally he just kind of stops the whole process and he starts to speak, the father does, but he can't because he's too broken. And emotionally he comes apart and he just holds up his finger and what he's saying is, give me a minute, I'm going to pull it together and I've got something to say to you, but it's going to take me a minute, okay? And so finally when he's able to speak, here's what he says to me. 
Would you do one thing for me in my son's service? And I said, what, what is it that you want me to do for you? And he said, when you speak, would you say, my son went to heaven? I said, I'm, I'm really sorry that you've lost your son. I, I can't imagine losing one of my kids. But I'm not the person who determines who goes to heaven and who doesn't. I don't have that kind of authority. That's a choice that God makes, not me. But I began to continue to talk to them. And as I talked to them, I discovered what was at the heart of the issue. And what they were saying was, our son died drunk. He was only 17 years old and he died so drunk that he didn't know he was dying. And we never took him to church. Not one time in his life did he ever go to a church. We never, ever, ever took him to a church. Not once. And we don't have any hope. Could you give us something? And so when I opened my Bible... And I read this story about these two disciples walking down this road toward a town called Emmaus. What I'm hearing from them is the same kind of sense. We don't have any hope. I've talked to you about the word before, but let me just mention it to you again, okay? In the original language that the New Testament was written in, in the ancient Greek language, the word is elpidzo. And we translate it in our language, hope. And it means to wait with confidence, okay? It just simply means that I'm waiting, but I'm waiting with a lot of confidence, okay? It's in the imperfect tense. And what that means is repeated action. And so what they're saying is that we had hoped and we had believed and we had prayed and we were thinking and we believed and we hoped for a long time. We'd just been hoping and hoping and hoping and hoping that this was going to be the one who was the Messiah and would redeem Israel. All this time we've been hoping, okay? But it's also in the indicative mood. Do you know what that means? It's already occurred. And it's translated correctly in your Bible when it says, we had hoped. But we're not hoping anymore. They nailed our hope to a cross. They buried our hope in a tomb. And we're not hoping any longer. All of our hope is gone. See, you've, you've walked down that road. You know what that road is like. It's a road where hopes and dreams are shattered. It's a road where loneliness and emptiness overwhelm us. It's when somebody says, hey, Pastor Rick... I can't see this getting any better. I can't see it changing. I don't have any hope in my spirit. I mean, if God is doing something, I can't see it. If God's hand is moving, I don't know about it. It's those moments when you want to say, hey, 
Do you know what's going on down here? Hey, do you know what I'm going through? Hey! You know, it's that moment of just despair. I was hoping, but I'm not hoping anymore. My hope is gone. And so they tell this story about there were these angels and there was this vision. Jesus' body wasn't there. And something about he might be alive, but we're just confused. We don't know what to think or believe anymore. Our world has been shaken. I went to, uh, I was invited, I should say, to go to celebrate recovery on Tuesday night. It's this wonderful ministry here at the church where the people come who have hurts in their lives, meaning someone has hurt them. Maybe they've been divorced. Maybe they were abused. Maybe they were neglected. Um, They've been hurt by somebody. It's also for people who have habits. And so people who are suffering from an addiction, like a chemical abuse, uh, addicted to a chemical substance, maybe they're on drugs or alcohol and it's something they can't beat. Um, Or maybe they have hang-ups in their life. And so it's really for people with hurts, habits and hang-ups, and that's probably most of us in this room. A hang-up would be like, I can't get beyond something. I can't seem to go forward with life because I'm hung up, because maybe I, I deal with anger, or maybe I deal with depression, or maybe I deal with something. It just holds me back. It's a hang-up in my life. And so the reason I was invited was because it was the completion of a 12-step study. Ten men had spent months together pouring over Scripture, pouring over study together, opening themselves up, letting each other in one another's lives, praying for one another, loving and caring for each other. For months and months they've been going through this, and they graduated. And so ten men, ten strong, ten big, strong men stood up, men of all ages. And I can't tell you who they were or what they said because they have a saying that says, what you hear here and what you see here stays here. And everybody says, hear, hear. It's a very safe place. But you know what I heard? I heard them talk about, oh, I'm thankful for CR, or I'm thankful for these people that have walked with me. But you know what I heard mostly? In the midst of the darkest time of my life, Jesus found me. And my recovery is not in my own strength or even my friends around me, but it's in Jesus. And my hope is in Jesus. And my strength is in Jesus. And my ability to move on is in Jesus because Jesus found me in the darkest moment of my life. And He literally changed me from the inside out. He has made me a new person. And my strength and my hope and my future is in Jesus. I mean, I heard it over and over again by strong, tall men after strong, tall man. They stood up and they said, my life is now centered in Jesus Christ. And so here are these two guys walking down a road. And who comes to them and finds them? Jesus. That's good theology, by the way. You understand, I did not find Jesus. Jesus was never lost. Jesus never needed anybody to find him. I was lost. 
It was Jesus who found me. And even that desire in my heart to know Him and to seek Him, He put it there. And He drew me to Himself, lovingly drew me to Himself. Jesus came looking for me. Jesus found me. But when they got to the place they were going, their home, Jesus acted as if he was going on down the road and they said, no, 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 you should stay. You should come in. It's nearly evening. The day is almost over. Why don't you come in? And there are going to be seasons in your life when Jesus is going to come to you and walk with you, but it's up to you to open the door and say, Jesus, I want you to come in. Rick, Rick, I feel Jesus in my life. I feel Jesus coming to me. When I come to church on Sundays, almost every Sunday, I feel Jesus. I sense that Jesus comes to me over and over again. I know that Jesus loves me. Jesus keeps coming to me. Jesus keeps speaking to me. I know that Jesus comes to me. At some point, you've got to open the door. And you've got to say, Jesus, I want you to come in. And even in the midst of your disappointment, you might say, Rick, Jesus comes to me in all of my disappointment. He keeps coming to me. And at some point, you've got to open the door and say, Jesus, come and show me truth and restore hope in my life. We have two, two young ladies who attend our church. You saw them this morning. They, they were standing actually right here. Um, the one on this side, her name is Victoria Seams. Victoria is in her mid-twenties. She's married to Thomas Seams. And then standing beside Victoria was her sister. Her name is Allie. Allie Oaks. I remember one year ago today. One one year ago today, I was at my house and someone calls me on my phone. And they said to me, I don't know if you've heard, but Victoria and Allie's father just passed away. Nobody knew he was sick. Nobody knew anything was wrong. He was only 57 years old, just a little bit older than me. And on that Saturday morning, he just died. I got in my car and I drove over to Allie and Thomas' house. I remember praying for them, but let me guarantee you that nobody has the right words to say in those moments. Words are not adequate. They were frantically throwing clothes into bags and trying to get out the door to drive to the Houston area to be with their family. And so I called Tori yesterday. And I said, Tori, I'm preaching about disappointment tomorrow. And you guys are singing. And I wondered if you could feel any comfort in giving me permission to talk about your story. And Tori says, oh, absolutely. You can talk about our story. And so she said, I'm grieving. You know, I've gone through stages of grief, probably still grieving. And she talked to me about what makes it really awkward and odd. She said, our, our dad is not with us anymore, but his stuff is with us. And it's awkward that his stuff is here and he's not. We don't want his stuff. We want him. She said, I feel like I'm in this other category. It's like I've been separated from everybody else because I had this 
unique thing that's happened to me and nobody else understands what that's like and they can't really relate. And so now I've kind of been separated from everybody else. I'm in this other category right now in my life. And so the reason I'm bringing it up is because I've got to share with you this. A few weeks ago, Kyle Owen, who leads worship for us in second service, called Tori and Allie and said, Hey, could you guys help me lead worship soon? Yeah, what date do you have in mind? I was thinking May 4th. And they said, Sure, we can help you lead worship on May 4th. And so somebody calls Kyle a few days later and says, Do you know what May 4th is to Allie and to Tori? And he said, No. And the person on the other end of the phone said, That's the anniversary the one-year anniversary of their father's death. And so this morning, we came into worship, and here stands Tori, and beside her stands Allie, and they lead us. They lead us. And they lift their hands into the air, and they help us to know how to say praise and thanks to God. How in the world are they able to do it? Why in the world did they say yes? Because Jesus comes to us in the midst of our disappointments and He walks with us and He opens the Word and He opens truth and He restores hope in our lives even in the midst of the darkest times of our lives. This is not the story that Allie and Tori would have written. This is not what they ever desired to happen to themselves or to anyone else. And this morning their mom, Deb, is with them. But do you understand that those two guys walking down the Emmaus Road, it's not the story they would have written either. And as you understand their history, do you know what they were hoping for? Do you know what they were wanting to happen? Do you know what they wanted to see turn out for them? They wanted a Messiah King who would defeat the enemies of Israel and take them out from under Roman rule. But that's not what happened. And so I pray a lot of prayers. And there are many times when I pray those prayers that Jesus does not answer them as I prayed them. But He always, always, always offers me hope. And He says to me, Rick, you should put that down. The longer you carry it, the heavier it's going to get. Do you want to set it down? Set it down. Cast your cares on me. I care for you. I was visiting this young girl who had cancer. Hospice was at her house every day. She didn't go to my church, but someone told me about her and the family wanted me to come and pray, and I was glad to, and so I went again and again and again. Almost every week. And her mother says to me one day when I'm walking out of her little bedroom, the little girl's bedroom, and down the hall and toward the kitchen, she goes, you don't know what it means to have you come and pray. Please don't 
don't quit coming to pray with us. When we got to the kitchen, I pulled a table, a chair rather, out from under the table. And I sat down. I probably made her feel awkward because she didn't invite me to sit down. She sat down and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if that was awkward, but I, I got I to gotta talk to you. I've got two girls. One of them is close to the age of your girl. How, how are you doing this? How, how are you making it through? Big tears come into her eyes and she says, I sing these songs, these worship songs. When I'm doing laundry, when I'm doing dishes, when I'm changing her bed, when I'm serving her, I sing these songs. I just sing them to Him. And as long as I'm singing these songs, I just, I just sense His presence. When I, when I sometimes feel hopeless, I start singing again. And I just feel His presence. And, and that's how I make it. That's, that's all I know to tell you. That's how I get through. Even in the midst of our disappointments, Jesus comes to us and He walks with us. And he opens the word and he reveals truth to us. And if you will open that door, he will restore hope. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and I'm going to pray. I want you to agree in prayer with me. Would you do that? Do you know what I mean by that? I want you to agree in prayer with me. So I don't want you to daydream. This is not the moment for it. I want you to agree with me in prayer right now. Will you do that? And then after I pray, we're going to have this song that I want you to listen to. I'm going to pray, and you just agree with me in this prayer. Jesus, as you came to those guys on that road that day, will you come to someone this morning? I believe you already have. Would you help them to see truth even in this moment? Would you give them the strength to open that door? Would you restore hope in somebody's life today? Jesus, Jesus, as you did it in Scripture, will you do it this morning in Jesus' name?
morning. I want us to end our time together by offering you an opportunity to pray, whether you pray where you are or if you want to come here to pray. And so if you feel like there's disappointment in your life this morning and you want to bring it to Jesus, you can do that. If you want to experience life transformation this morning, you can find that. If you want a pastor to pray with you for healing, there will be a pastor here and there will be a pastor here. And so Kyle is going to lead us in a song. And if you want to come and pray, or if you want to pray where you are, feel free to pray this morning, okay? Let's sing together. And oh, 
So thank you, Lord, for hearing us pray today. And thank you, Jesus, for coming to us. Open truth to us today. And I pray that you will restore hope today. We love you. We're very grateful for you loving us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Feel free to stay or go as you need to go. God bless you. Have a good day. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.